I would like to welcome you all to Sunday service, whether you're here in person or online. My name is Nayaswami Ananta. This is Nayaswami Maria. It is a joy to be here to celebrate inspiring thoughts and uh, the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. I would like to read from Rays of the One Light. And this week's reading is Who are True Christians? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of St. John, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many Christians, not surprisingly, quote this saying in condemnation of other spiritual teachers, not only the Old Testament prophets, but also Buddha, Krishna, and others who lived before Jesus, as well as, by inference, any who came after him. Yet Jesus himself, in St. Matthew chapter 5, said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Nowhere do we find Jesus condemning or even gently criticizing other spiritual masters. His criticisms were reserved for worldly attitudes and for those hypocritical Pharisees who had allowed religion to become for them a pretense. Paramahansa Yogananda explained that the expression, all that ever came before me, referred to those spiritual teachers who place their egos and their self-importance ahead of the Christ consciousness in the sense of drawing people's devotion to themselves and not offering it where alone it truly belongs to God. Yogananda himself was very firm in this regard. For example, he never spoke of anyone as his disciple. Instead, he always insisted, they are God's disciples. God is the guru, not I. Ego is a way station on the soul's journey toward enlightenment. The soul is first trapped in lower bodily forms. Slowly, it evolves to the human level, at which point self-consciousness appears. Only in human form can self-consciousness tra transcend material form altogether including the lower identity of ego consciousness and discover the true divine self within. Self-consciousness manifested as ego is an incentive to deliberate self-development. Later in this process of development, however, the ego becomes an obstruction. Inevitably, New spiritual aspirants do not emerge effortlessly from the vortex of ego consciousness. Desire must be offered up resolutely and ever more wholeheartedly on the altar of infinity. It is a gradual process, and few even among those who seek to help others are free of ego. If, however, 
Their motive in teaching is not to serve, but to be served. They deserve a severe reprimand, as Jesus gave them. For their direction of development is no longer upward, but downward. In the name of giving up desires, they are creating new ones. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter, desire obscures even the wisdom of the wise. Their relentless foe it is, a flame never quenched. Intellect, mind, and senses, these combined are referred to as the seat of desire. Desire through them deludes and eclipses the discrimination of the embodied soul. O Arjuna, discipline your senses, and having done so, work to destroy desire, annihilator of wisdom and of self-realization. Give God the credit for everything you do. See him as the true doer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Hello, everyone. I'd like to uh, begin with a reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity, and these are prayer demands. that he has written. And this one is, Demand for fervor in divine love. Teach me, O Spirit, to love thee as wholeheartedly as the miser loves money. Make me as attached to thee as the drunkard is addicted to wine. Teach me to cling to thee as erring ones do to their bad habits. Teach me to be as attentive to thee as a mother is to her child. Teach me to perform my duties diligently with my attention fully riveted on thee. Teach me to love thee as the worldly man loves his possessions, with the first love of true lovers, teach me to love thee. So again, welcome to everybody here in person and viewing online. My first introduction to the Bible was actually in high school. Uh, It was a summer elective class entitled Bible as the Bible as Literature. And I think I was hoping I could put something together, and I wasn't. (laughs) I think I was destined to understand it as scripture, but only through the interpretation and commentary of Paramahansa Yogananda That's when it started to make some sense. And it's a very curious thing because Yogananda said in his own life he couldn't understand the Bible at all until his guru, Swami Sri Yukteswar, shared with him its deeper meaning. 
It's a little hard to put that together because Yogananda came into this world as an avatar, as an enlightened being. But as we know, he lived out that drama to show us also how to live, how to tune in, how to understand. And so passages like this one this morning were just a total enigma to me. And without Yogananda's interpretation, I really just don't think I ever would have gotten it. Uh, Swami Kriyananda says that most people do misunderstand this passage, that it's oftentimes misinterpreted. But it is a very, very important one, probably one of the main important ones, because it really clarifies the central delusion on the spiritual path, which is the ego. And it is the ego that is the thief. It is the ego that is the robber because it is the ego at a certain point in our development that robs us of spiritual opportunity. It keeps us from tuning in. It keeps us from experiencing and knowing. It keeps us from seeing the divine reality in everything and the nature of the universe itself. So this is something that is centrally important to everyone, not just the Pharisees, those who are in the position of spiritual teacher, but everybody, because everybody, we all have an ego, and to a greater or lesser degree, but to the degree that it is there until we become free, it's keeping us from seeing truth. It's keeping us from seeing the subtlety of spiritual teaching and how that applies to our life and how we can act in such a way as to open ourselves spiritually and to grow spiritually. Yogananda, when he was a young boy, he frequented many saints and sages in his even immediate surrounding there in uh, India, in Kolkata, and Sirampur. And one day he went to see this so-called saint, and some people, you know, his friends would tell him about, you know, you should hear this person, you should hear that person. And I guess the news came that his saintliness was somewhat uh, ambiguous, and Yogananda, uh, tucked a mirror in his pocket. And he went there, and there was a huge hall, and it was packed with people, a lot of disciples and devotees. And <clears throat> this uh, saintly man of sorts saw Yogananda enter in. And he went on with his discourse, and at a certain point he said, I am God. And Yogananda he was seated at that point, and he jumped up, went up to the front, pulled out his mirror, held it up in front of the man's face, and he said, oh, really? <laughs> is that so? This is not the God I'm looking for, and went storming out of the hall. Well, the man, and there was a greatness in him, certainly, and a humility as well because he ran after Yogananda. He kneeled at his feet and he said, forgive me, forgive me, for you have saved me 
from a great delusion. And he was receptive. He could see in Yogananda's presence and in the vibration of Yogananda's consciousness, and he was then Makunda, the young boy Makunda. But even so, he could feel how he had ego, and Makunda didn't. And it showed, it was revealed. And he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He knew it was an obstruction. And Makunda had set him on that higher path, on that right path. Yogananda said in his life, he said these words, I killed Yogananda long ago. No one dwells in this temple now but God. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment and feel these words at the point between the eyebrows. No one dwells in this temple now but God. No one dwells in this temple now but God. This was the consciousness of Paramahansa Yogananda. This is the consciousness of all great masters. This was the consciousness that Jesus had that allowed him to speak those words to the Pharisees, telling them they were wrong. They were being little, small-minded, that they could not realize the truth unless they relinquished the ego and egoic desire. And so how do we get to that place where the ego no longer dwells in this temple but has been transcended? And then in pure perception of the truth. One of the ways in which Yogananda lived was in the consciousness of God as the doer. He never did anything. It's, it's almost hard to imagine. But he never did anything without feeling that Divine Mother was sanctioning that, saying, this is what's to do, you know, this is what you need to do. One time he went, when he was visiting his guru, Sri Yukteswar, in uh, India, in Serampur, it was his last visit while Sri Yukteswar was in his physical body. And Yogananda was just walking down the street there, and he heard this crying loud lamenting coming from this house, just cries and screams. And he realized it was the house of a somewhat distant relative of his. And he went into the house. And the man of the house had just died. And the family was all gathered there. And they were just wailing and crying and and grieving. They had lost their father. They had lost their husband. So. This was the situation. Yogananda sat down there and closed his eyes and meditated and prayed very deeply. And after a while, the man woke up and he arose and he came back to life. And sometime later, when Yogananda had returned to America, 
his disciple, Dr. Lewis, said to him, did you heal that man, Master, because he was a relative of your family? Or did you heal him because God told you to? And he said, of course, because God told me to. If I hadn't felt that God wanted me to do this, I wouldn't have come into the house. And that's the way it was with everything for him. It was simply a matter of what Divine Mother wanted him to do. And he was Divine Mother's instrument. There was no sense of ego or personal wish or personal desire. Now, it may be difficult or challenging for us to get that clear sanction in everything that we do at this point. But let's try to get that vibration of consciousness that is Yogananda's, that is the consciousness of the Great Ones. Let's try to bring the highest vibration that we can into what we do. And in that way, we're more conscious of that God is the doer, that God is flowing through us, and less conscious that it is something that we want to complete, we need to complete, it has to happen, I'm right, it's my point of view and it's right, this kind of thing. Because this is where personal desire, egoic desire gets us. It's driven by I, it's not driven by what God wants, what Divine Mother wants. And Divine Mother has a plan. And when we've experienced that, we know that even though it's sometimes not easy, it's certainly, it's a lot more fun in the sense that we feel that divine connection. It's a lot more, there is that kernel of bliss because we feel that divine connection. So God is the doer, and to the extent that we can be a part of that, that we can allow that consciousness to flow through us, we are working to transcend desire. In the Gita, it says, control the senses. You know, control desire, control it, pull in the reins. I remember a couple of students once, they just said, so many desires, so many desires. I just have decided to just fulfill them, just fulfill them, be done with them, you know? <laughs> I, I can see where that would go, but the problem is, that they're infinite. One just breeds another. We think there's just, you know, A, B, and C, but no, no, no. If we're thinking that way, we're quite mistaken. You fulfill one, and there's another, and you fulfill that, and there's another, and you fulfill that, and there's another, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Yogananda decided to just have fun with it. He, and when he was a young boy, I can't remember what the vegetable was, but he hated it, absolutely hated it. And he saw that in himself. You know, he, he saw it, likes and dislikes, desire, preferences. And he just decided to heck with it, I'm just gonna eat the darn thing. And he just ate it and ate it, and he ate it frequently, and he ate it a lot until he liked it. He liked it, he enjoyed it. And that's how he got through that. But it, it, it's simple enough. I mean, it's something we can do. It's something we can all do. You look at the scope of desires that we might have or think or 
you know, entertain in our lives, and it can be daunting. It can be daunting. Not the obvious ones, per se. Maybe we've relinquished a lot of those. Certainly we have to be on the spiritual path. But it gets subtler and subtler and subtler as long as there's some semblance of ego there. And so when we see it, you know, then go after it. You know, cease in the sense of ceasing to identify with it. Transcend it. Either learn to enjoy it or just let it go. Let it go. Swami Kriyananda, in his book, Sadhu Beware, he gives us a very practical technique for working with desire. And he says, become an ego detective. (laughs) I don't know if many people would sign up for that job description. But it's a really good one for a devotee, you know, because that's, that's what we're here to do. If there's anything left of the ego, whatever is there of the ego, we're here to, you know, single it out and get past it. Let it go once and for all to be an ego detective. And he says the way to do it, and again, you know, this is, we can either decide that desires are daunting, too many to overcome, save it for later, or we can just go after it. Go after it when you see that in yourself. And he gives us a very practical technique. He says, when you feel the ego paramount, you know, in your consciousness, really to the fore, you're going to feel tension here at the medulla, the medulla oblongata here at the base of the skull, this little indentation at the back, at the top of the neck. That's where the medulla is. It's a component of the astral image form of the body. And at that point, tension gathers when we're centered in the ego. It's the negative pole of the agnya chakra. Spiritual eye is here at this point. The medulla, it's polar opposite, seat of the ego. So that's simple enough, isn't it? You know, if we're observant, if we're willing to take note, if we're aware enough to notice the tension there. And then he says, when you experience that tension, inwardly try to relax, take a few deep breaths, inwardly dissolve that energy, relax it, and let that energy flow upward to the spiritual eye. So that we can do, right? That's not too complicated. When we feel that tension, when we feel that energy, because we want to, we do want to get where we're going. We want to get to the Christ consciousness. We want to get to that consciousness where nothing is obstructing, nothing is in the way in the temple. All the chairs are gone a wide open space. It's just God there. It's just God. And the last element that I wanted to just talk about a little bit, because it's how I'm able to work with desire and ego best. It may not be everyone's, but I I would guess it's a major component. And that is in Jesus' reminder of the commandment, love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so the more we can channel energy devotionally in our lives, which is to say being conscious of God, being conscious of the guru, being conscious and aware of our love for the guru, the more that we can do that, what we find and experience is that the hold of desire, the hold of the ego weakens. It just can't stand up against that force, against that vibration. A student, online student, shared with me recently, and she said, I just never could get my energy, my head around how to love God. I just couldn't, I didn't get it. You know, God was up there, out there, and here I am, and how do you love God? How do you do this? She said, I could understand love your neighbor to a certain degree, <laughs> to a certain degree, and I could put some energy into that, but I, I couldn't understand love your neighbor being the second, you know, um, but I couldn't understand how to love God. And she said, until I came to these teachings, these techniques of meditation, she said, now I get it. Now I can do it. And so here we've been given these sacred techniques of meditation. It's our way to be with God. It's our way to love God. And the more that we can channel all our strength, all of our energy, everything that we have, all of our thoughts, all of our heart in that direction, we decrease the power of other desires. It's, as it says in the Bhagavad Gita, it's like stale cheese compared to divine nectar. It simply doesn't interest us anymore. I remember a friend of mine many, many years ago, and he was a, uh, became a disciple of another path. Ramana Maharshi uh, is his guru. And he lived a very worldly life. His work put him in a very worldly setting with very famous people who were concerned very much about their fame and their image and their self-importance. But this was his, you know, it's what life gave him. And he was very good at his part in that. He wrote script and whatnot in Hollywood, quite a scene. And he always mixed very freely and was fine in that setting. Many friends, associations, he'd spend time with them. And, you know, a lot of partying, a lot of hoopla, a lot of doesn't even need to be said. <laughs> but he was very much in the thick of it. And he started meditating. He started with spiritual practice. And it changed him. It changed him. And his friends couldn't figure it out. And most of them, <clears throat> most of them, he didn't bother to really explain it to. But he shared with me, he said, the more 
I meditated. The more that I practiced living a spiritual life, everything else just fell away naturally. It just wasn't interesting anymore. I didn't want it anymore. And he became the whole person. His soul came to the fore. Less and less did the ego have a hold on him. And so this thrust of loving God more deeply is probably one of the most tangible and practical things we can do to conquer the ego and to get to that place where in our consciousness we can really feel no one dwells in this temple now but God. And this is what I wish for you all. Yeah. 